This is the Verbatim Word Podcast, where we find biblical truth in a daily context. I'm Justin Gary. As a high school teacher, one of the favorite classes I've ever taught was personal financial literacy, teaching high school students all about money. In one lesson, when I was teaching them about opportunity cost or giving up something now for a greater return later, which is a foundational principle in things like savings, investing, planning for retirement, I showed my students an illustration video in order to illustrate the concept of opportunity cost. This video was of a marshmallow experiment, an experiment conducted by researchers to see how children would react to delayed gratification, putting something off now to get something greater in the future. In this experiment, they had a group of children about four to six years old, and one at a time they put these children into a room where they were sat at a table. When they sat at the table right in front of them on a plate was a single marshmallow. The researcher would explain to the child, there's one marshmallow here on the plate right now. Once I leave the room, you have the freedom to eat that marshmallow if you'd like to. But if you can wait, when I come back, I will give you two marshmallows if you have not yet eat, eaten the marshmallow. The child understood and the researcher left, and then the video camera filmed them with a hidden camera to see what they would do in the meantime once the researcher stepped out of the room. With the child there alone at the table with a single marshmallow, they all had different reactions. Some of them, they made up their mind that they were going to wait in order to get two marshmallows when the researcher returned. They sat there contently, holding on to their self-control. But most of the children, they wrestled with the temptation of the one marshmallow that was sitting there before them. That plump, white, sweet marshmallow staring them in the face and inviting them to eat it now. Some of them struggled so hard. They closed their eyes because it was right there at their eye level, thinking if they wouldn't see it, maybe they wouldn't indulge in it. Or they crossed their arms or even sat on their hands as a form of self-restraint. Some of them couldn't really resist the temptation, so they began to touch the marshmallow, or sniff the marshmallow, or lick the marshmallow, or pinch off the smallest bite so that no one would notice they had taken a small piece, and then they would quickly put it down and push it away. They were so tortured by it. Others could not resist the marshmallow at all and then devoured it within seconds of being left alone in the room, with no self-control to heighten their reward later. It was so amusing to see the struggle that was so real for these children, and yet, unfortunately, one that is all too familiar. They knew what they should do. They should wait. The spirit was indeed willing, but the flesh was weak. We all know what that struggle is like and how weak we can be in those moments. On our last podcast, we moved into the application portion of the book of Galatians. Paul reiterated that doing the law could add nothing to them. In fact, it would rob them if they returned to the law. They would fall from the grace that God had given them. Even if they decided they were going to cover their bases with some of the basic elements of the law, like circumcision, Paul said they would then be debtors to keep the entire law. He also warned them that those false teachers that were preaching the law were like leaven. They had to be aware of them and be careful unless they were corrupted by these false understandings of righteousness in Christ. And also, liberty does not equate a moral free-for-all. We have the Spirit guiding us to live in a way that pleases Christ. So even if we are not under the law, we will still result in righteous living when we live according to the Spirit. 
On this episode, we continue in Galatians 5, where we consider the struggle between the two wrestling natures within the believer, our old man, our old nature, the flesh, and the new man or the new nature which seeks to be led by the Spirit, and how much of our daily struggles come from this internal battle. While we may wish the struggle between the flesh and the spirit were as simple as waiting a few minutes for an extra marshmallow, we see there is a little more to it than that. We're in this section now in the book of Galatians where Paul gives practical application. He spent about four chapters laying down the truth that we no longer live under the law, but we live under grace because of Jesus Christ. And now he's writing, how are we supposed to respond to the fact that we're free under grace and not under the law? This is a concern, though, for the Judaizers. They were wondering if you teach people like the Galatians that they're not under the law, this could become dangerous because won't everyone just do what they want to do then? If you tell people God forgives you because of what Jesus Christ has already done, will that result in a bunch of people living immorally? Well, Paul defeats that notion in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. He writes this, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these two are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. He clarifies here about the two contrasting natures. Most people may not even have realized before being born again as a Christian that they even had a fleshly nature or a carnal nature, let alone that they would wrestle with a new nature once they became born again in Jesus Christ. I had a friend who got saved, and a few weeks later, he called me shortly after, kind of in a panic, and he asked if he could he could asked if he could meet with me and ask me some questions. When I met with him, he began to say, "Am I going crazy?" I asked him to explain what was going on. He said, "I just got so many things going on in my heart and my head. I feel like I'm crazy. Like there's two sides wrestling back and forth. There's things in my life that I once thought were normal that now I'm questioning whether they were. And there's things that I thought were okay before that now I'm wondering, am I really supposed to be involved in those things? I'm not so sure. And this battle that was going on in his heart and in his head, he was now aware that he had two natures. The old nature was his flesh. The new nature was the spirit of Christ living within him. He thought that accepting Jesus would fix a bunch of his problems, only to realize he was being revealed a bunch of new issues that he had not realized were even being present before. And things that he saw no problem with in the past, he was now wrestling with those very things. If we go back to Genesis, the very, very beginning, when God created man in the garden, he said if they disobeyed, if they ate of the fruit of that tree in the day that they ate of it, that they would die. We saw in a former podcast that God created us spirit, mind, and body. And the day that they died, all those natures began to die. But the one that died instantly was the spirit. Man was set apart and separate from God in a spiritual realm, dead to God in a spiritual way. When we were born now as descendants of Adam and Eve, our flesh is in that primary place. We live according to our base needs. That we're, that's what we're calling the flesh here in this text. Those are drives that were actually given by God. Things like biological drives, like hunger or procreation, um, relational or intimacy drives to be with other people, or survival or defense drives to protect ourselves and keep ourselves surviving in this world. 
Now, these drives that God gave us can glorify God when they're balanced by the Spirit. But remember, in the day that we ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we died. Our spirit no longer has capacity or strength in our natural body. He doesn't really exist until we're born again. So without the spirit, those base needs or our flesh, those things can get pretty ugly. Just watch videos of Black Friday shopping and you know what I mean. That basic carnal nature of man surviving, of man doing what he wants at his core, apart from the spirit. Thankfully, though, God saw our problem. He sent Jesus, and Jesus said that we needed to be born again. When we are born again, when we receive that forgiveness for our sin, Christ's Spirit comes to live within us. We are forgiven, and now we have His Spirit. And Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, he said, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. You see, before we are born again, we are slaves to that old nature. We are slaves to that flesh. We are slaves to our base needs without them being balanced by the Holy Spirit to bring those in under a way and to satisfy, satisfy those needs in a way that will actually bring glory to God. Paul wrote to the Romans there in chapter 6, Our old man is crucified with him, crucified with Jesus. And it's an opportunity to no longer be sla slaves driven by our base desires. But the ghost of the, that fleshly nature lives on. Now we have the Spirit, but we have to learn to walk in a new way according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh, which we've done for so many years. This is not something the world is even concerned with or aware of. The world does not say, oh, we need to make sure that we crucify our flesh or stop walking according to our flesh. In fact, the world justifies the flesh and the lusts of it. Instead, calling it other things, saying things like, oh, it is just natural, or I was born that way, or it, if it feels right, why should I suppress it, or just allow me the freedom of my expression, or who are you to challenge my rights, or just accept me as I am, or I just speak my mind, I, I need to remain true to myself. You know, most of that thinking in society it's a society that loves to live by the flesh and it's justifying it. And the very fact that there's a higher way to live according to the Spirit is not even something that's crossing their mind. People with tragic accidents or who go through major surgeries or who have pro prolonged bed rest of recuperation after something major that's happened to them physically, sometimes they have to learn to walk again. That's something that's so natural to most of us, to be able to walk. We learn when we were toddlers how to walk. We've mastered it. We do it pretty well. But to have to learn to do that again, that's a frustrating thing for many people who have to go through that process. It's a slow process. It can be painful, very frustrating. But the muscles, the nervous system, they need to learn how to do it all over again. Paul's saying the same thing here. You walked for a long time according to your flesh. Once you become a Christian, you need to learn to walk according to the Spirit. And that can be a painful new process to begin to learn to do things differently than you did them before. Coming to Jesus is a learning process of learning to walk in the Spirit, because we spent all that previous time letting the flesh lead us. So to help us understand that concept, he outlines the two natures for us there in verse 17. He says this, The flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these two are contrary to one another. So let's establish a few things here. First of all, it tells us here that the flesh lusts. 
Now, lust, typically we think of some kind of sensual longing, a strong desire for something attractive maybe. But that's just one aspect of the concept of lust. If you look at the Greek word there, it has a little bit more in its meaning. It means to desire, to long for, but also to covet something. When you covet something, you want something that's not yours. You want something that you can't have. So if we meld all these things together, lust really means it can be described as an insatiable desire, a desire you have that can never really be satisfied, even if you try to fulfill it. And that's not just sensual things, which lust usually applies to those things in most modern contexts. But lust can also be applied to power, an insatiable desire for power, an insatiable desire for money or stuff, material things. It can be vengeance or anger or jealousy, things that we kind of feel, if I could just get this, or if I could just do this, or if I could just respond that way, somehow I will be satisfied, I will feel better. But that's a fallacy. It may be satisfied for a small moment, but lust in its very nature, and its very definition, we can never be satisfied with our lust. We will never be fulfilled. I think of feasting. Maybe you've been to a big meal before. For us Americans, maybe we think of Thanksgiving where we stuff ourselves and we think for a moment, I will never eat again. I have no room for anything else. And yet a couple hours later, you go for seconds. And then you have leftovers to take home for the entire week. You're eating that meal over and over again, even though at the, at the slightest moment, the first moment you said, I can never eat again. Eventually, the appetite will want more again. That is the nature of lust. And that is the law that our flesh lives by. Our flesh will never be satisfied, even if we try to fulfill it. Gratifying lusts becomes an unending cycle of always needing more. The next fixed the next adventure, the next model of that item to go on the market. We think somehow if we get the next thing, it will fulfill us. It's so subtle and understood and accepted in our society. I mean, think of even binge watching in an on-demand world. If I just watch one more episode, I might be satisfied. It never works. Lust can never be satisfied. Our flesh will never be satisfied. So Paul says first that the flesh lusts, but the second thing we see there is that the spirit fights back. In verse 16, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For the believer, while once we were okay with just living according to the lusts of the flesh, there's an apparent struggle when God's spirit lives in us. We can no longer be okay with the lust or trying to satisfy it. It's apparent that it does not satisfy us. It leaves us empty and even miserable after if we try and fulfill our lusts. That's why when you come to Christ, you start to realize you can no longer really enjoy the things that you once did before you knew Jesus. Because now you've tasted the good things of the Spirit, the things of the flesh no longer satisfy, even if we thought they did in the past. Our cat was sick a few months back, and we took him to the vet, and the vet prescribed some premium food. It was in a little can. It was pretty expensive for each one of them, but it was nice, wholesome food that the cat needed in order to be able to heal in that season that it was going through. After we gave it some cans, and about a week went by of it eating this, this nice, good, soft, premium canned food, we reintroduced to its diet the hard little pieces of cat food that we bought at Walmart the normal food that our cat was used to eating. Well, guess what? Afterwards, after tasting the new premium stuff, 
The cat turned its nose up at its old food. It took us a while to actually reintroduce that food and get it eating that again. And basically we had to starve it from the premium food and say, you're not getting that anymore. And it went back to the old food. But once it had tasted that new good premium food, it didn't want the old stuff. When the spirit comes into our life, Paul says there in verse 16, the spirit lusts against the flesh or the spirit pushes back against the flesh. The spirit can no longer fully find satisfaction and the spirit just, it just spits out whatever it is that the flesh is going on or trying to put into us. That's why teaching behavior modification only goes so far. Or legislating morality and telling people, if we just make laws and we don't let you do the bad things, you'll suddenly be righteous. It doesn't work because the old nature, until we're born again, will still try and feed itself. We need to be born again in the spirit. Usually when we satisfy a lust, it feels good at first, but not afterwards. Even for us as believers, for a slight moment, if we feed that lust, it feels good. But shortly after, we don't feel good so so much longer because the spirit begins to grieve within us. Here's an example. If you lash out at someone, if you want to just speak your mind, it feels good to just tell them what you want to say. You finally got it out in the open. It feels good for a moment, but immediately and shortly after you begin to regret the way you hurt that person or that broken relationship that you've caused because you're hurtful words. The flesh was satisfied for a second, but then the spirit begins to grieve that process. Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. He says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. That's all they can think about. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity or at enemy of God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. When we as believers momentarily lapse back into our patterns of the flesh, we experience that taste of death. It doesn't taste right to us. And it robs us of life and peace. We can't just move on as if nothing happened. It gets to us. It eats away to us, at least if you're a spirit-filled believer, it does. And when we are walking in the flesh, we sense that it does not please God, which the spirit within us seeks to do. So the spirit in us works like a preserving agent and won't let us get too comfortable or satisfied with the flesh, but it consistently and constantly draws us back into the things of the spirit. Which leads us then to the third thing that Paul says in verse 17. These, the flesh and the spirit, are contrary to one another. The flesh and the spirit can't live peaceably alongside one another. One wants temporary satisfaction that is in opposition to God and eternal things. One draws us to the things of God, which may require patience, trust, faith, and self-sacrifice. They are in contrast or contrary to one another. They can't coexist very well. These two conflicting natures become apparent to most believers early on. Suddenly, like my friend that I met with, you feel like you've got a Jekyll and Hyde. Or like in the old cartoons, the little angel sitting on one shoulder and the little devil appearing on the other shoulder, trying to wrestle you or convince you which side of the issue or which reaction or which choice to make in the situation. It's the flesh and the spirit. 
There's a story of a man who went to a more experienced Christian for advice. He was very much troubled by the spiritual conflict going on within his heart. He wanted to do what God wanted him to do, to live according to the Spirit. But he was frequently disobeying God. He found that he was prone to do evil things or things after the flesh, even as he did before he became a Christian. The man described this conflict within himself as a dogfight. He said to his wise counselor, It is as though I have a black dog and a white dog inside me fighting each other constantly. The black dog, he explained, represented the evil and fleshly things he wanted to do, and the white dog to him represented the good he knew and desired to do. The counselor asked him, Which dog wins the fight within you? After several moments of silence, the man said, The dog that wins is the one I feed, and the dog that loses is the one I starve. A person can either feed or starve the carnal fleshly nature, or we can feed or starve the spiritual nature within us. One will win and one will lose. Now, by no means am I advocating animal neglect, but the illustration is clear. Each time you feed the first, the flesh, it can come back to bite you. And the more we feed the spirit, the easier we can fight off the flesh. Which then leads us to ask ourselves many times, what am I doing right now in the moment? Is this activity I'm engaged in or is this pursuit that I'm pursuing, is it feeding my flesh or is it feeding my spirit? Which dog is it feeding? Or if I choose not to engage in that or if I choose not to respond, which one am I feeding? Am I feeding my spirit or am I feeding my flesh? One of the greatest challenges as a Christian is this. Every moment we are either in the flesh or in the spirit, moment by moment at work, at home, in our relationships, in our communication, in our free time. If we were to divide our life into two categories, every moment placing it on one side of the line or the other, at every moment we are either in the flesh or in the spirit. Our thoughts, our responses, our actions, our choices are being led by one or the other at all times. Now, we have cute names for our flesh that we like to call it. Sometimes we'll say, well, that person's high maintenance. We would never say they're in the flesh. Or they're just really opinionated or, or short-tempered. Or they're not in the best mood. Or they woke up on the wrong side of the, ble- of the bed. In truth, we have to call it what it is. As believers, we are in the flesh. When we call it what it is and acknowledge the nature of it, then God has a solution for it. But as long as we just make excuses or justify it, or just say, that's just the way that I, that I am, or that's just the way I was feeling in the moment, or just give me some space, we are on our own. We're in the flesh to try and suppress the flesh, which never works. What we often do then is to try by the law to curb our flesh. We just set some new rules or some new guidelines or establish new routines to fence in our flesh so it doesn't get loose or at least not get loose around other people. But we never kill the flesh, and it's just a matter of time until it rears its ugly head. So then what are we to do? Well, Paul gave his solution back in verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That sounds pretty simple, Paul, almost too simple. He says, walk. Basically, he says, just do the right things, and you won't do the wrong things. That's easier said than done, Paul. Just walk in the Spirit, and that should take care of the flesh. What does this look like practically? Paul wrote, 
the epistle of 1 Corinthians to a very fleshly carnal church. His advice to them, though, was this. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Paul knew that those Christians were in a very fleshly city. It was going to be feeding their flesh constantly. And he knew that there was going to be constant temptations for them to feed the flesh, but also to respond in the flesh. He says to them, though, in that verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, God is faithful. God will always show up whenever you are tempted, whenever your flesh is about ready to take a bite of something. God will faithfully give you an alternative option, a way of escape, an escape route to get out of that situation. You don't have to respond in the flesh. You don't have to feed the flesh. You don't have to react in the flesh. So what does this look like? Well, I found personally that oftentimes in a situation, my first impulse or my first response is usually the flesh. The old nature, for some reason, usually steps up to the plate first in order to respond or to solve or to engage in a particular situation. And then if I can hold back just long enough, then the spirit will give me something else. On second thought, maybe I could respond in the situation this way. On second thought, maybe I don't have to engage in that. Or there's a still small voice that says, Justin, there might be another opportunity or there might be something else you could do in this situation. The flesh jumps at the first opportunity to try and get us down that route. But if we can hold off long enough, the spirit will always be faithful to give us a way of escape. The question usually becomes then, which are we going to obey? We usually go with our gut feeling, which oftentimes is the flesh. So we lash out, we indulge, we're selfish, we do what feels best, we take the shortcut, we do what will cost less. Paul told the Galatians to ignore the initial fleshly urge and instead walk in the Spirit. Start taking steps in the direction that the Spirit leads and you will not indulge the flesh. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you're able. He will always be faithful. He will always make the way of escape. The Spirit will always give you an opportunity to respond in a different way than the flesh if you will just listen long enough to hear it. The other day I was driving home from a busy day of helping some friends move, and I had gotten a text from my wife. And she asked me if I would get some sauerkraut on the way home. Unfortunately, I did not get the text until I walked in the door out already. Now, I have a rule with my wife, and it's this. If you really need to make sure I get something on the way home, make sure you call me. I probably will not get the text, and I'll get home before I get it, which means I'll have to go to the store again. So please just call me to tell me if I need to bring something home. Now, in my wife's defense, on this day, we had been texting back all day long about different things that were going on, and I had responded to all of her texts all day long in a very timely manner. So she just assumed that I would get that one as well. So the last one, though, that she sent about the sauerkraut, I happened to be driving home. I did not get the text until I walked in the back door. I was not very, let's just say, in the spirit when I got that flesh. I was a little bit upset that she had not called and not followed my rule, my law that I had set out for her. And I said to her, well, one of us will have to go to get the sauerkraut. In my mind, I was thinking, I'm not going. I just got in the door. You're going to go get it. But then that small thought came to my head, Justin, which one of you will go? 
it was the voice of the Spirit. I had lashed out in the flesh just very quickly. One of us will have to go. That was my passive aggressive way of saying, I am not going back to the store. I just got in from being out all day. But the spirit, which came just a beat after, said, which one will go? I knew I had to go because I knew I was going to be recording this podcast on being in the flesh and the spirit. So I had to follow my own advice. So anyway, I went to the store that was nearby. I found the sauerkraut. I got to the counter. And as I was standing there, I heard someone come in and say, hey, does anyone have jumper cables? Well, guess what? My initial reaction was the flesh. My flesh stood there and it avoided eye contact. It ignored this voice. I said, she will ask someone else. It is a heat index of 105 degrees outside. I do not want to pull up my truck and help someone jumpstart their car. Someone else will do it. That was my initial reaction. That was the flesh. And then take a pause. And then the spirit began to speak. Justin, maybe you were supposed to help. As I looked up, she was still standing there. No one had responded. I knew what the Spirit was leading me to do. So I went up to her and said, hey, I'm willing to help. I think I've got some uh, some jumper cables in my truck. I had them there. They were there for about two years. They were still in the box. I had never used them. So I pulled my vehicle over next to her vehicle, moved the truck, helped her. Um, we got the, tr- the car started. Her battery started up. And I actually even told her where she could go to get it te- tested to see if it was just a fluke thing or if her battery was already dying. And so we had a good conversation. She thanked me as she was getting back in her car so much for stopping in the midst of the hot day and getting her car started once again. I had to pause and tell her the story. I said, you know, I just really want to be honest with you. I'm glad I helped you, but I actually need to thank my wife for that because I wasn't going to come here. I told her all about the sauerkraut and what my initial thought was. And I came to get the sauerkraut and I said, but you know, my second thought when I said one of us is going to have to go, you should go was Justin, maybe you should go. And I told her, I said, that was the voice of the Holy Spirit. And she said to me with a big smile, she said, I'm really thankful you listened. And you know what? I was really thankful I listened to. That's the case. Whenever we respond to the Spirit, there's always thankfulness. There's always something that brings glory to God. There's always something eternal that God wants to do in that situation, that God wants to bring blessing in, that God wants to bring himself glory through. But when we respond in the the flesh, there is always death. There is always regret. There is always something that we go back later and said, I shouldn't have done that. The flesh rots. The flesh brings death. The Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives God glory. The Spirit serves others. The Spirit brings fruit into all of eternity. Paul finishes the few verses that we read today in verse 18 by saying, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. There's a freedom there. We don't need the law when we are living under the Spirit. That's a mistake we sometimes make in our effort to be in the Spirit and not the flesh, is to actually go back under the law, to put as many rules in place as possible to make sure that we're doing the right thing. We say, I will do more devotions than to be in the Spirit, or I will pray more to be in the Spirit, or I will listen to only Christian music to be in the Spirit. Those things may help you to grow in your relationship as you feed your spirit. They may wash you from the fleshly thinking and patterns of this world. And they'll sometimes establish boundaries that may be conducive to your growth. But we read today in Romans 6 verse 6 that our old man was crucified with Jesus Christ. That the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. We should no longer be slaves to that old nature of the flesh. The fleshly old man 
was crucified with Jesus. That's how God sees it. But the old you is dead, but his ghost is haunting you from beyond the grave. But the spirit is available to you. And Paul's advice to us is just walk in him. It's simple. You are not under the law. You don't need to reestablish a new spirit-filled law. You have the Holy Spirit. And if we respond to the Spirit, we will always respond according to the Word of God and the desires of God and the nature of God. And we will always reflect God in this world. When we are led by Him, He is seeking to do it. We have to listen for His voice. Next time He says, get up, will you respond? Trust God's faithfulness. He wants you to walk in the Spirit even more than you want to walk in the Spirit. And it doesn't matter how many times we've messed up or how often we're in the flesh or how carnal we are in our nature or how strong that old man is. If you can agree with the Spirit and say, Lord, I will start now. The next time I will not react in the flesh, I'll hold my tongue for just a second. I will listen for your voice. He will be faithful and he will make the way to escape it. Whether it means him telling you to go buy sauerkraut or him telling you, hold your tongue, I've got a blessing for you to say instead, or him telling you, change the channel, there's something else that you can be putting your eyes upon, or him telling you by his spirit, pick up your word, put aside whatever that that little temporary uh, distraction is that you're dealing with right now, or him telling you by your spirit, do something to help someone when it's inconvenient. Walking in the spirit starts with just one step of obedience saying, here I am, Lord, what do you want? What do you want to say? And Lord Jesus, this is easier said than done. But Lord, you know what it's like to live with the flesh. You came as a man on this earth, Lord. You were tempted in all ways as we are, and yet you are without sin. And Lord, that is something that we admire and we cannot even really comprehend. And it's also a resource for us because you know the ways of escape in those moments because you found every single one of those escapes by enduring every single one of those temptations, every single one of those wrestlings with the flesh that you felt. Lord, you made the way of escape and you are faithful to give that to us as well. So Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for the church at large today, Lord, that we would be a people of the Spirit that we would crucify the flesh with its carnal desires, that we would listen for your voice, and that we would respond in a way that brings you glory that only you can get the glory from. And Lord, that we'd be able to say in those moments that it was not us, but there was the Spirit of Jesus Christ living within us that gave us victory over the flesh. And it's Jesus' holy and powerful name that we pray. Amen.